This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. I want to share a little bit of my story uh, to start off. Uh, I like to share stories from time to time. Uh, and this one is quite a, a personal one. Uh, sometime many, many years ago, uh, I think around kind of 2006, 2007, I went through this kind of spiritual journey, if you will. For some reason in that season of my life, uh, in my early 20s, uh, I, I had this kind of series of amazing spiritual experiences. Uh, I don't really share this stuff very often, and I'm certainly not sharing it with you now to make myself look good, to make you think about how spiritual I am. Uh, that would be the exact opposite of the vibe of that text I just read, wouldn't it? But I do want to share it to explain how spiritual gifts can be a wonderful, exciting, glorious thing. So the first aspect of that journey that I wanted to talk about was, uh, and I still remember this really clearly, um, I had kind of this series of events where stuff people cancelled on me and I found myself at a loose end and I had a whole day to myself with no, no, nowhere to be, no one to see, nothing to do. It was a day kind of like today but less rainy but it was like windy and cold, uh, middle of June and I went to the beach. Does anyone ever go to the beach in the middle of June? Yeah, not, not often. Uh, it was a big surf um, and it was kind of a dramatic place to be. Uh, and I, so I went there just to sit on the sand and think in, in my big parka. And I, I wanted to sit there and think and, and pray and, and just pour out my heart to God. I don't know why, I just did. And so I sat there on the sand on the beach and I started praying and I was kind of reaching out for God and kind of saying, like, God... Like, I want to know you in a, in a more tangible way. I want to know you more deeply. I want to get closer to you. I feel like I've read this Bible and I've been to church or Bible studies or youth group or whatever, um, and I know about you, but I don't feel like I know you. Or at least I kind of do, but I want to go deeper. So that was the kind of prayer I was praying, and I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and then I kind of ran out of things to pray. I'd kind of said all I needed to say, and I sat on the beach in the cold, and I prayed, God, what do you think? It's a pretty innocent prayer, isn't it? And in that moment, amazingly, it was as if God responded to that question out of nowhere uh, with almost not quite audible words, but it was really kind of real. It was so clear and so deeply moving that I just instantly burst into tears and just wept on the beach to hear God tell me that He loved me in this tangible way for the first time in my life. It was the closest I had ever felt to God at that moment. And then only 
A few months later, uh, on a completely different kind of day, uh, nicer weather, I was walking along the street on my way to uni, on the way to get the bus to go to uni, and I was praying, you know, for my friends and stuff that was going on in my life, and suddenly, while I was praying, the words that were coming out of my mouth changed from English to some language I'd never heard before. Like, just out of nowhere. I just started praying in some other tongue. It was so strange. Uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't scared, and I was in total control of it. I could stop and start whenever I wanted. And there was this real sense that I was speaking to God in, in His language or something. That it was like this kind of gift of a prayer, and, and, and I had a little bit of a sense, an inkling of what sort of thing I was praying, like not the actual content, I couldn't translate it for you, but just this sense of, this sense of love for God. So I tell you all of that, not to say that makes me special. If you haven't had an experience like that, that doesn't make me a better Christian than you. Lots of people I know have received gifts like these, and lots of people I know have not. I know people who've, who've prayed many times for sick people and seen them get well. When I pray for sick people, it doesn't happen so often. I've got a friend who, when I speak in tongues, he can tell me what I'm saying. He can interpret the tongues, which is wild. But... These things are not the, the foundation of my walk with God. These things are not the thing that I build everything else on. If anything, they're kind of the cherry on the top, not the foundation. So I've kind of already answered this question, but I think a lot of people when I read that passage at the start were saying, what does he mean by speaking in tongues? Um, so I've got a little definition, and I've written it down because I wanted to get the wording just right because, you know, some people find this stuff controversial. Tongues is a gift of speech that sounds like someone speaking a foreign language, but it somehow bypasses the speaker's conscious mind to come out as a stream of unintelligible sounds. It is like a stream of praise bringing glory to God in a language only God understands, although it should be said that the speaker is still aware of the words they're saying and knows that the words carry a sense of love for God or desire for God's presence or action in their life. Can we work with that? Glad I wrote it down. All right, how about this one? Prophecy. What is prophecy? Because he says prophecy is better than tongues. What does he mean? The word prophecy in common English refers to telling the future. If you look up the like Oxford Dictionary or whatever, the Macquarie Dictionary, I should say, we're in Australia, um, it will say something about predicting the future, telling the future, that kind of thing. However, in the Bible, it's a bit different. Prophecy is actually just any message that God gives a human being to share with God's people. It might be a promise or a warning, in which case it's about the future, 
But equally, it might just be God's wisdom or insight or instruction about the present, or even a reminder about the past. If you go into the Old Testament and read the stuff that the prophets said or wrote down back in the old days, there's a mixture of warnings and promises about the future, instructions about the present, and reminders about the past. Prophecy is not always a spontaneous flash of inspiration where the prophet suddenly knows something they couldn't otherwise have known. It can also be a considered, thought-through bit of understanding that God's people need to hear, like in a sermon. Prophecy always builds up the hearers in their faith and love of God and never contradicts what God has already revealed in Jesus and in the Bible. Are we happy with that? Okay, there are two working definitions. I've done my best to word them very carefully, cut off some of the potential misunderstandings. All right, I've got another story. Uh, This isn't my story. I've stolen this one from from Tom Wright, uh, the theologian, um, because I think it's a really good analogy. He tells a story about two builders. You can see them there. Uh, The one on the left is building his own house. He's working hard. He gets up early. Uh, He goes down to Bunnings, gets his stuff, brings it home, goes into his house and makes it beautiful. He's trying to create this beautiful space for him to live. And he's going to be in this space all the time, every day. So he wants it to be perfect. He puts in all the effort. He doesn't buy the, like, El Cheapo Bunnings stuff. He gets the good stuff that costs a little bit more with the brand name. Uh, And he's got all the skills, and he makes his house perfect, exactly perfect for him to live in. The other builder gets up early as well, but he doesn't stay home or go to Bunnings. He gets in in his ute, and he goes down to a building site. And there, there are a whole bunch of other builders. And they all get together. Someone tells them what to do. And they all do their bit to build something together. I guess in that picture, they're, I don't know, building a skyscraper, it looks like. But they could be building anything. Uh, In N.T. Wright's version of the story, they're building a cathedral in the center of the city that everyone can come and used to worship God together. Um, N.T. Wright's an Anglican, so he likes cathedrals. I'm a Baptist, so I'm a little bit more indifferent to them. But the point is that there are these two builders. They're kind of doing the same type of work. They've got the same skill set, but they're using what they can do for different purposes. And he says that that is the issue in Corinth. In Corinth, you've got two kinds of people in the church. You've got the people who speak in tongues to edify themselves. That word edify is just building, to build themselves up. And you've got the others who prophesy to edify the church. What he's saying is, and actually it's where he kind of comes into land there in verse 12. He says, Try to excel in those gifts that build up the church. Because we can use our spiritual gifts to build ourselves up 
And those two anecdotes I shared at the start about my kind of spiritual journey were both about me. They're about the Spirit working in me to build me up, for me to feel closer to God, or for me to be able to connect with God in a new way. And those gifts are good, but they're not as good as using gifts that build up the church. And the Corinthians were doing so much of the former and were so focused on the gifts that were especially good at building up the self. And Paul's writing this letter to say, you need to change your whole framework. You need to change your whole perspective and think about the church and not just about yourself. They were desiring and preferencing tongues as the kind of number one spiritual gift. Speaking in tongues was the thing to do. And if you couldn't speak in tongues, you were barely even a Christian. And they'd come together in a space like this, and they'd all gather, and they'd all go for it, speaking in tongues all at once, some louder than others. Uh, but it was this it was the, the key moment in their worship gathering was to gather to pray in tongues. That was the focus. And they wanted to show each other how spiritual they were. They were showing off in a public worship service by being carried away in the Spirit and spontaneously speaking unintelligible words to God in front of each other. And that is not what a worship service is for, is it? That's not why we gather. We don't gather here to show off about how spiritual we are in front of other people. This is a time to worship God and build one another up. All of our spiritual gifts ought to be an expression of love, uh, which is why in chapter 13... Paul spends so much time talking about love. He wants them to be focused not on showing off how spiritual they are, but to focus on love as the ultimate spirituality. So here's the hard question. If that's what's going wrong in Corinth and what made Paul write this letter the way he did, the question we need to ask for us is, What might be going wrong for us? Do we have the same problems that they had in Corinth in our church? I mean, I haven't noticed it. (laughs) In fact, I think in in the five and a half months I've been here, I haven't heard a single person pray in tongues, not even in private, let alone in a worship service. So the answer is probably not, right? So then what do we do with this text? It's not really speaking to us, is it? And it's interesting to think about and and learn about and ponder, but we've got to ask this question at this point, even if it's a hard thing to ask. Um, I've jotted down a few ideas, but you probably have your own. But hear me out, because I'm the preacher. (laughs) How might we be misusing our spiritual gifts or any other kind of expressions of our spirituality? One thing might be happening 
is that some of us might be holding back from taking the risk of using a spiritual gift in public. We might have decided that our spiritual life is a private matter, not to be shared in public. That's a very common Australian thing. Religion is a private thing. You don't talk about it. You don't talk about religion with your friends because they don't want to hear about it because it's a private matter. And we've kind of internalized that. And we even keep our spirituality private from our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do our spiritual journey with God solo. It's a very different problem to Corinth, isn't it? It's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. But maybe that's a problem for you. Or, I've got another idea. Maybe you do want to show others how spiritual you are, but you don't do it by speaking in tongues in a public worship service. You do it in other ways. Um, I, I like to use the phrase performative spirituality, which is a fancy way of saying showing off how good a Christian you are. It's not necessarily getting carried away with a spiritual experience like the Corinthians were. It might be more like intentionally using big theological terminology that someone who hasn't been around church as long as you might not understand, because that makes you superior to them. You're the knowledgeable one who knows the Greek word for something. It might be quoting Bible verses uh, in a kind of pompous manner. It might be uh, making pronouncements about God without any kind of humility. It's a kind of performance of spirituality. And often the person who is performing their spirituality in that way is hiding their own doubts and their own confusions and their own fears. It's a mask that we pretend to be a perfect Christian so that people will like us. But actually our journey is way more complicated than we're making out to be. That's a hard one, isn't it? It's all right, I've got another one for you. We can fall into the trap that the Corinthians had of thinking that spontaneity is the thing, that the spontaneity is what makes something spiritual. That if I prepare a sermon, if I carefully write out my definitions of tongues and prophecy like I did before, that that makes this a less spiritual moment than if I just got up here and went for it off the cuff. I think spontaneity has a value and it's good to be flexible and it's good to be able to just go for it and not feel like you've got to plan everything out. But that doesn't make it spiritual. It's kind of just practical. A spontaneous person is not more spiritual than a considered, planned, thought-out person. It's just a different personality, a different way of doing things. Okay, the last one I had, but you might have more, is the trap of thinking that spirituality is only for church. Uh, if you think about our, our two builders from before, there's 
the builder who spends all his time in his own house, and we've decided that was the problem the Corinthians had, that they were focused on their personal spirituality and weren't using their spiritual gifts for the church. They were, but there might be a problem for a builder who is only building the cathedral and neglecting their own home, so to speak. Perhaps the only time you pray is in your connect group or in church, and you don't ever pray on your own. Perhaps you only read the Bible when someone reads it to you. Perhaps all of your time and energy and effort is in using the gifts that you have to serve, and you don't use any kind of spiritual gifts to get to know God more, to get to know His presence, to hear His voice, to spend more time worshipping and adoring Him, not just here in a worship service, but in your own time. Obviously, We've got a whole book here, a whole letter to the Corinthians about the problem of overdoing that and becoming self-centered and arrogant about your spirituality. But there can be a healthy amount of time and energy and effort spent on building up your own spiritual home. So there, there are four ideas I had. Maybe some of them apply to you. Maybe none of them do. I will say one last word of caution about those four things, and that is don't look at the person next to you. <laughs> There's always a temptation with this stuff to go, oh, that's just like that person the other day who said that thing or did that thing, and we start picking on each other and judging each other for failing on this stuff in little ways. And we get picky and we start kind of policing other people's words or other people's behavior. I think we need to be careful to always start with ourselves. I've tried to do that this week in, in preparing this message. To think about the times when I hold back from taking the risk to use my spiritual gifts in public. And make my spiritual journey private. In fact, part of the reason why I shared those stories at the start about my own spiritual journey was because I felt convicted that I needed to do that, to take that risk. I know for me, I want to show other people how spiritual I am, because I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to be, right? And if I tell you all that I struggle with doubt, if I tell you all that faith is hard, if I tell you all that there are things I don't understand or feel confused about, you might not look up to me. I can fall into the trap of thinking that I need to be spontaneous to be spiritual, or that you need to be spontaneous, or that we need to be spontaneous, and that if we have a, a careful, considered worship service where everything's planned out, then there's no room for the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't have to be spontaneous. I can fall into the trap of focusing too much on the cathedral and not building my own spiritual walk with God. Spiritual gifts and the gift of the Spirit are for God's glory 
and for God's purposes. That's my summary statement. It would be too easy to read this passage and say spiritual gifts are for the church, they're not for you. In fact, I think I've heard that sermon before. But I've decided that we need to go a step over that to say that spiritual gifts and the gift of the Spirit are for God's glory and for God's purposes, whatever that might be, which can be for you in your private spiritual time and can be for us in our corporate collective spiritual time. But either way, it has to be glorifying God and His people, building His people. They are mostly for one another and mostly not just for ourselves, but they can be for ourselves too. Mostly they're for encouragement. Mostly they're for giving life. They're not just for making us feel good, although sometimes they can do that too. So I want to finish by spending some time asking God to give us spiritual gifts. Seems like the right place to finish, doesn't it? We've talked about it, let's do it. So, um, I'll ask the band, if they're around, uh, to come up and join me as we spend a little bit of time in prayer. Um, I I haven't keyed this up with them, um, but I I think they'll manage. (laughs) Yeah, this is the spontaneous bit, but it doesn't make it spiritual. But it can be. All right, so I'll, I'll pray a bit, and then you guys kind of play a bit, and when you feel like it's the right time, Candy, you can just start singing. <laughs> now it's been planned. It's not spontaneous. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, as we gather together this morning, uh, we gather in your name to give you glory. And in light of that, uh, we want to ask humbly but boldly, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit this morning on each of us here. Lord, that you would give us gifts of your spirit, free gifts, not because we've earned them, not because we deserve them, but because you love us and you love to give good gifts to your children. God, we are willing and we are ready to receive from you. Thank you, God. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.